This being Father's Day, as I often do on such a day, I want to bring a message that is specific to this occasion, but certainly not one that is for fathers only, because if that were the case, just the fathers could listen and everybody else could just switch off. We don't want that to happen. But what we do want to do today is to look at what is called often the Lord's Prayer, but probably is more rightly described as the Disciples' Prayer, as it is recorded in Matthew chapter 6. It's really interesting to look at the circumstances of this prayer, in that the words leading up to it are filled with references to God as our Father. In fact, this begins in chapter 5, as you see there that the Lord is teaching his people how they are to interact with other folks. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're even to love our enemies and bless them that curse us and do good to those that hate us. Why? Well, the Lord gives the reason in Matthew 5:45 that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. In other words, that we might reflect the character of God. Because that's how the Lord is. The Lord has forgiven us, his enemies. We are enemies uh, to God by nature. But he has come to us and reconciled us to himself. He has, in that sense, loved his enemies. He has done good to them that have persecuted him. Remember Saul of Tarsus? The Lord Jesus said to him on the road to Damascus, Why persecutest thou me? So certainly when we see how the Lord has treated us, then that gives us every reason to treat others as he has treated us. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. And again, in the last verse of chapter 5, he says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. But that continues into the next chapter. Notice verse 1 of chapter 6. Your Father which is in heaven. Verse 4. And thy Father which seeth in secret. Verse 6. Thy Father which is in secret. Thy Father which seeth in secret. And then verse 8. Your Father. And then we come to the words of the Lord's Prayer itself. And in verse 9. It begins. Our Father. And then as a bookend to this. In verses 14 and 15, the Lord speaks again of forgiving others, just as your heavenly Father has forgiven you. And twice he mentions this, your heavenly Father, verse 14, your Father, verse 15. So, certainly this portion of Scripture is appropriate to the subject of fathers and Father's Day. The Lord's Prayer itself, the disciples' prayer, has been called the prayer of all prayers. Because it came forth from the lips of the Son of God. You'll notice that it is a comprehensive prayer. It's short, but it's very pithy. It's profound. And a great deal is spoken of in just a few words. But not only is it a comprehensive prayer, it's a very clear prayer. It's a prayer of tremendous clarity. In that there's nothing difficult, there's nothing ambiguous about the language. It's not difficult to understand. 
you can see clearly what the Lord is articulating here. But it's also a complete prayer in that it contains all that you and I need to ask from God and ask of God. And as it is the model or pattern for all praying, and we know that from verse 9, where the Lord says in the preamble, After this manner, therefore, pray ye. In other words, in this way, or after this fashion. I, first of all, would say there's nothing wrong, per se, with reciting the Lord's Prayer. And I think it's good to recite the whole prayer and not to finish early, as many do. Because some people will quote the Lord's Prayer as it is in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. But they forget about these words at the end of verse 12 or verse 13 of Matthew 6. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I think it's a good thing at home in your family devotions, especially when children are really small, teaching them how to pray, teach them to say the Lord's Prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with families praying together the Lord's Prayer, or even, per se, saying it as a group in church. The problem is that with so many people, it's something that they just repeat parrot fashion. In other words, they've learned it off and they just say it by rote. Don't even think about the words. They don't even pay any attention to the words. It's just something that you do, particularly at a funeral. Let's all say the Lord's Prayer. Well, the Lord never intended the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, to be used in that fashion. Why? Because he doesn't say, these are the words you have to use in prayer. He says, after this manner, therefore, pray ye. In other words, after this kind, this is a pattern for your prayer. This is a kind of way in which you should pray. And of course, if we think about that, we're always going to pray properly. We're always going to pray aright if we keep to the pattern. Whenever I was a little kid, my mother used to do a lot of knitting. And I remember very well when she was knitting. Knit one, purl one, you know how that goes. And she had a pattern. It was a thing that was printed on a sheet. And she would follow this pattern, sewing a little, putting together a little cardigan or whatever it happened to be, a scarf. And uh, she followed the pattern. And that's why it usually turned out really well, because she followed the pattern. And that's what we're supposed to do when we pray, follow the pattern. We're going to gain answers to our petitions if they're made according to this pattern. Think of John's words in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. <clears throat> and this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, <clears throat> He heareth us. If we ask anything according to His will, that's God's will, He heareth us. So, if we pray in the manner set forth by the Lord Jesus Christ, we will definitely see answers to prayer, because this is prayer according to His will. It must be. If you pray according to the pattern that Jesus gave, then you're praying that way. That's praying according to God's will. Now, the Lord's Prayer itself is in three parts. There's the preface to it in verse 9. 
Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There are the petitions in the prayer from verse 10 to the first part of verse 13. You could look at those petitions. These are requests, if you like. Actual things that we're praying to God, asking for him to do. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then there's the praise. The closing part of the prayer in verse 13, the second part of the text. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So you have the preface, you have the petitions, and you have the praise. What I want to do today on this Father's Day is to look at the preface to the Lord's Prayer. Because it is very appropriate, very relevant to our subject. I want you to notice here in the preface the manner of our address to God in prayer. The manner of our address to God in prayer. It's very simple, isn't it? Our Father. And it ought to be especially noted what is implied by these words, Our Father. First of all, it's on the very surface and it's the very first thought that comes to your mind. Those who talk to God are his children. Those who speak with God are his children. That's why they say, our Father. And I mean they are his children by grace. In the book of Malachi, just at the end of the Old Testament, chapter 2 and verse 10, the Bible says this, Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us. There is a sense in which God is the Father of all men, listen to me carefully, by creation. By creation we are his offspring. That's how it's described in the book of Acts chapter 17. If you care to turn there, Acts 17, and look at verse 28. The Apostle Paul is at Athens. He's speaking to the men of Athens on Mars Hill. And among the things that he said to them was this in verse 28 concerning God. For in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. Look at the next verse. For as much then as we are the offspring of God. We ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver, etc. The offspring of God. Or, if you like, his children. But we have to understand that this is only true by creation. Not all men are the children of God by election or by particular and special grace. In fact... To quote First John again, this time chapter 3 and verse number 10, it's very clear that there are some who are the children of God, but some who are the children of the devil. That's how they're described. First John 3 verse 10, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. You see this? 
Some are of their father the devil, as Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 44. Because the lusts of their father they will do. And it was Thomas Watson the Puritan who said that such people ought to say when they pray, Our Father which art in hell. It's very jarring that when you hear it, isn't it? But that's true. For those who do not know Christ, their father is not in heaven, their father is in hell. Because they're of their father the devil. It's only a true believer, one who is born of the Spirit, who can call God Father in prayer. Galatians 3 verse 26 is often half quoted because you'll hear people saying, for we are all the children of God. Right? You've heard people say that. We're all God's children. But that's not what the Bible actually teaches. And that's not what this text teaches. Galatians 3.26 For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. See, there's no period there in the middle of the text. Ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That's the condition. But when we look at the Lord's Prayer, and we think about what is implied by these words, Our Father, there's something else that's implied. And that is that prayer is to be offered to God alone. It doesn't say our Heavenly Mother. It doesn't say angels or saints or Mary who are in heaven. It is our Father who art in heaven. Prayer is to be offered to God alone. We pray to God alone and to Him who is God alone. For there are no other gods. There is but one true and living God. And the psalmist spoke about this in Psalm 115. Words that are very appropriate here. Psalm 115. And it says of Him, Now unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. And then it makes a contrast between the true God and idols. It goes on to speak concerning the blessing of the Lord upon his people. We are to pray to one who is God alone. There is no other God. The gods of the heathen are silver and gold. They're the work of men's hands. But he's the true and the living God. Again, this is the teaching uniformly of the Bible. You'll see in, in Isaiah chapter 44, in the midst of several chapters dealing with idolatry, the prophet says this, Isaiah 44 from verse 8, Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. They that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit. And they are their own witnesses. They see not, nor know that they may be ashamed. Who hath formed a God? 
or molten a graven image that is profitable for nothing. And it speaks about idolatry all the way down this chapter. For instance, in verse 15, He maketh a god and worshipeth it. He maketh it a graven image and falleth down thereto. Again, verse 17, He falleth down unto it, worshipeth it, prayeth unto it, and saith, Deliver me, for thou art my God. The Lord is teaching here the folly of idolatry, but teaching them that He alone is the Lord. He alone is God. That is implied by the prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, the one who is God alone. But I want you to notice as well in this manner of our address in prayer, Our Father, not only what is implied by these words, but what is intended by these words. Our Father, I want you to note, is a reference to the whole deity. Now let's think carefully about this. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some people, when they pray, they think when they're saying, Our Father, they're just addressing the Father in the Godhead. This is not so. When we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, we are speaking to the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, yes, there are places in Scripture when the person of the Father within the Trinity alone is intended. For instance, in John chapter 14, and we don't have time this morning to expound this portion uh, as it is before us, but certainly we can mention the fact that the Father there <clears throat> is in relation to Christ in the Trinity. You'll notice in verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. Verse 6, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And again, as it goes on to speak of the Father, in verse 8, in verse 9, in verse 10, in verse number 11, again in verse 12, 13, 16, 20, 21, all the way down this chapter. The Father, my Father, the Father. This is the way He's described. And it's talking about the Father in the Trinity. But in the Lord's Prayer, when we say, Our Father who art in heaven, we have in view all three persons of the Godhead. Now why does it say Father, Our Father then? It's used because Father is first in order. But the Son and the Holy Spirit are included because they are of the same essence. We pray, we, uh, pray to, we worship a triune God. But the words, Our Father, are intended to underline the love and the condescension of our God. You see, the Lord could have given us some other description. He could have said we should pray, Our King, or Our Judge, or Our Lawgiver. But he has not given us a title of majesty alone. He's given us a title of mercy. Our Father. See, the Father conjures up a beautiful picture. A loving Father. Just as he's portrayed in the parable of the prodigal. 
When the prodigal son comes back from being in the far country, he finds a loving father. One who is more ready to forgive him than he is to be forgiven. It's a beautiful picture. And don't we read in Psalm 103, those beautiful words, verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. A good father has a great love for his children. He doesn't like to see them injured. He doesn't like to see them hurt. He doesn't like to see something happen to them that's not going to be for their good or for their benefit. That's how God is. This is a loving picture. And once again we see it in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in connection with the disciples' prayer as it is described in Luke's Gospel. Over there in Luke chapter 11. You will see in the aftermath of teaching about the Lord's Prayer, the Lord says this, from verse 11, and it's in connection with prayer, you will notice. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask him a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? You might wonder why these particular things are chosen out. Why would I say a stone instead of bread? That doesn't really make sense to us in the Western world. But you see, in those days, the little bread loaves were, they looked like stones. And that's why, that gives significance to what the devil said at the temptation of Christ in Matthew 4. That he should take these stones and make of them bread. See, because those stones, those smooth stones looked like little small loaves of bread. That's what the Lord has in mind here. The Lord's not going to give you the counterfeit. He's not going to give you a stone that looks like a piece of bread. He's going to give you the bread. A true father will do that. Or if he asks a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? You'll say, well, I know the difference between a fish and a snake. Well, the word serpent here has in mind more of a, an eel-type creature. Uh, like a sea eel so it looks like a fish. In fact, there are eels in the Atlantic Ocean that are just like fish. You couldn't tell the difference between an eel and a fish. At least uh, the lay person could not. That's the significance here. It's not a counterfeit. You ask a fish, he's going to give you a fish, not something that looks like it. Or if you shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And the scorpion, when it's curled up, it looks like an egg. The Lord's not going to, a true father is not going to give a child something that will hurt him. A scorpion that could sting you. He's going to give the egg. That's what a loving father does. And that's what the Lord is saying here. When you pray to him, he's going to give you what's good for you. Not something that's going to hurt you. He's not going to give you the counterfeit. Because he loves you. He's a God of mercy. That's why we pray our father, which art in heaven. Because a true father is a loving father. And I want you to see in this manner of our address in prayer, our father, not only what is implied and what is intended by the words, but who are included in these words. Earlier in the chapter, Matthew chapter 6, there's a difference in how the father is described. 
And you'll see this even back in chapter 5 at the end of the chapter. There's these, this personal pronoun attached. Your father. Or as it is in verse 4 of chapter 6, thy father. That's the way it is also in verse 6, twice, thy father. And then verse 8, your father. So there's then these words, our father which art in heaven. Why the difference? Why did the Lord not say to the disciples, you need to pray my father which is in heaven? Why pray our father? Well, it's because he's the father of all his people. And all of his people are linked to one another. And isn't it interesting that in this chapter you have both private and collective prayer taught by Christ. In the earlier part of the chapter, you see in verse 6, the Lord's telling you how to pray privately. Get alone with God. You don't have to get into a cupboard in your house. You don't have to find an actual closet. But you need to get alone with God somewhere, someplace. Get aside with your Bible and pray. And talk to the Lord and let Him talk to you every day. This is what the Lord is teaching here. And when you pray, you pray to thy Father which is in heaven, which saith in secret. He's your personal God. But then there's collective prayer. You're to pray like this, our Father. Because God's people are a family. We've been speaking about collective prayer in our prayer meetings recently, how important it is. And again, we have that indicated here, certainly implied here, collective prayer, our Father, not just my Father. He's the Father of all the Lord's people. And even as they pray collectively, this is in their minds. He's the Father of each of us. Look at Matthew 23, verses 8 and 9. The Lord says, But be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your Master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren, and call no man your Father upon the earth. He's not saying that if you have a dad, don't call him your dad. That's not what he's saying here. He's speaking spiritually. No man on earth is your spiritual father. The Pope, for example, claims to be the spiritual father of all Christians. He's not. Priests, Roman priests, Greek Orthodox priests and so on, they refer to themselves as father, even though they're not married and haven't got children. Well, the Greek Orthodox ones can, but Roman Catholic priests are not married. They don't have children. They shouldn't have. Dr. Paisley used to say, if they call themselves father and they're not married, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. He said that in jest. But there's a serious point to it. The Lord Jesus said, call no man your father upon the earth. That's why I, won't, I will not address a Roman Catholic priest as father, ever. I remember being at a, an ecumenical service. Oh, you were at an ecumenical service? Yeah, I was there to take a stand against what was going on. And I engaged those that were on the panel at the front, one of whom was a Roman Catholic priest. I only can remember that his last name was O'Halloran. He was obviously Irish. And I said, I would like to ask Mr. O'Halloran a question. Well, that guy looked at me and if looks could kill, I'd be dead. He was not used being addressed as Mr. O'Halloran. 
and all the other stooges on the platform, the Salvation Army man, the Church of Scotland minister, the Anglican minister, all referred to him as Father O'Halloran. I said, I'd like to ask Mr. O'Halloran a question. It to do with being born again. And just as, just as clear as he could, he said, I was born again at my baptism. Right there in that service. No ifs, ands, or buts. Baptismal regeneration right away. That's the, that's the answer I wanted. To expose the darkness of Romanism. But I digress. One is your Father which is in heaven. You see, in Christ we're not only joined to God, but to one another in the family of grace. And that's a wonderful thought. So whenever we pray, our attention is not to be only upon our own selfish interests. That's one of the things that comes out of this prayer. But it is that of all the household of faith. We had a Father in our home. He was my father, but he was also the father of my three sisters. And so all of us together, siblings, could say, our father, he's our father. Because we're joined to one another, as well as being joined to him. So there's both of these. We can speak to God, my father, and we can speak to God as our father, because we are in the family of God. So when you're praying... Your attention should not only be upon your own personal selfish interests, but that of all the household of faith. Believers, you see, are not just a mass of individuals. They are members of a body. And this is why God's people need to and should desire to be in fellowship with other believers in the church. There's a great blessing on The unity of brothers. In Psalm 133, this is the subject. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren, brothers, to dwell together in unity. And it speaks of the place of unity being the place where the Lord commanded the blessing. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 2, we have this thought in verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Love the brotherhood. See, there's a brotherhood. There's a family. And these are included in these words, our Father. But as well as the manner of our address in prayer, I want us to think about the matter of our attitude To God in prayer. The matter of our attitude to God in prayer. Our Father which art in heaven. There's a place called heaven. Praise God. My earthly father is there today. Some of the rest of us can think of our earthly fathers who are there today. In heaven. Uh, I think about my dad on Father's Day. I think about him all the time, but Father's Day, I think of him. Other people have their fathers still and should appreciate them if they can. Seek to love them and do their best for them. And uh, you miss your father when he's gone. I miss my dad. 
But he doesn't miss me. He doesn't. He doesn't miss me. He doesn't miss the things of this earth. He doesn't miss anything about this side of heaven. Because he's in the immediate presence of the Lord. And that's a wonderful thought. There is a place called heaven. And the Bible just speaks of it as heaven above. Heaven above. You can go up on a spaceship and a rocket. You'll never get there. You'll not find it that way. The Lord's not going to allow you. But heaven is up there. No doubt about it. Just as surely as there is a place called heaven, though, there's another place below called hell. And that's a sad thing to think about those that are in a lost eternity or going there. But this expression, which art in heaven, I would suggest does not refer to the local residence of the deity, nor does it imply that he is confined to a particular location. Because you see, God is omnipresent. God is everywhere present in his fullness in every point of space at one and the same time. Let me repeat that. God is omnipresent. He is present in his fullness in every point of space at one and the same time. Now, how could that be? Well, it's a mystery. But the Bible teaches it. Let me just mention a few scriptures. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 27. 1 Kings 8, 27. The question is asked, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. Solomon's talking about the temple. And God would dwell in the temple between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. But he was not located there, strictly speaking, in that he was restricted to that place. As he suggests here, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. God is omnipresent. Again, in Psalm 139, he mentions all sorts of places where he could be. And he says, God is there. Look at it. Psalm 139, from verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? I want to get away from God's presence. If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. God is everywhere present. And finally, in Acts 17, this is the subject that Paul referred to in that same sermon that I mentioned earlier. In Acts 17, verse 24, he says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. So God is present in his fullness in every point of space at one and the same time throughout the universe. However, it is true to say that heaven is God's throne. It's the place where he reveals his glory the most to saints and to angels. And if we were to look at the prayer of 1 Kings chapter 8, we would see in verse 30, 32, 34, 36, 39, 
43, 45, and 49 that it speaks of heaven as God's dwelling place. So what is the reference to heaven in the Lord's Prayer about? Well, it is for the purpose of distinguishing God from every creature in our thoughts. And also to impress in our minds the fact that God is exalted far above us. Our Father which art in heaven. He is superior to every earthly father. He is above all. He is distinguished from every creature, however much we might love that creature. He's infinitely exalted. I was always taught from earliest days, as we wish every child was taught, to respect my father. You don't talk back to your father. There are things that you don't say to your father. Because that's respect. Honor thy father and thy mother. That was drummed into us as children. Did I always fulfill that? No, I didn't to my shame. But usually it was under my breath when I said whatever I said about my dad. Not to his face. I knew better than to do that. The consequences would not have been good. But we ought to respect our earthly parents. We ought to respect our father. And fathers ought to command respect from their children. That's the other side of it. But when we come to God, we have one who is due, if I could put it this way, our ultimate respect. We are to honor him. He is infinitely exalted above every creature. Our Father which art in heaven is high above us. And yet, even though that's true, we can come to Him anytime, anywhere, and He is one with all power and with all willingness to fulfill our petitions. I'm reminiscing today a lot, and when I was a child, I would say something to my mom and she would say, well, you better ask your dad. You better ask your dad if you can do that. Once in a while, my father would say, you better ask your mother. Well, I've already asked my mother. She wanted me to ask you. I was very glad to be able to come to my dad with my problems. If I had something wrong that I wanted to talk about, something I needed to get some advice on, he was there. But, of course, there were times when there were things he couldn't do anything about. He wouldn't be able to change whatever the circumstance was. It was not within his remit. But that's not true of the Lord. Our Heavenly Father has all power. And in prayer, we are reminded of the fact that this world is not our final abode. Heaven is our home. Our Father which art in heaven. That's where we're going. That's our destination. And so whenever you pray and you're praying to your Heavenly Father or our Heavenly Father, our minds are lifted away from the earth and worldly things. Our minds are exalted because we're thinking of our Father in Heaven. We're communing with God. And of course this has to do with what we call the attitude of prayer. There is an attitude of prayer. An attitude that we must adopt. 
And it is encouraged by the title, Our Father which art in heaven. It's not the man above. It's not the man upstairs. I hate that kind of talk. He's our Father which art in heaven. And when we pray, we are to be very careful how we speak to God. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2. But thinking about this, in prayer, as one of the hymns puts it, Heaven comes down our souls to greet, while glory crowns the mercy seat. So that's what happens when we pray. Not only do we ascend to heaven in our prayers, heaven comes down to us. Prayer, as the Puritan said, is a bit like a ladder to our souls. We enter heaven with prayer. How does that happen? By having our thoughts turned in that direction. And so the preface to the Lord's Prayer is in itself an encouragement to you and to me to pray. It's a real encouragement. If He's our Father, then can we not approach His throne with confidence and assurance that He will answer us? I always knew growing up, and even in my adult years as a married man, if if I had some trouble that my dad could help me with, he would help me with it. If there was anything at all that he could do to help me, he would help me. He got to be an old man and I had the opportunity to help him. And always thank the Lord for that. Even in his dying moments, the Lord allowed me to be there. I've often said to people, I was just a few minutes into the world and my dad had me cradled in his arms. My dad was about to leave this world and I had him cradled in my arms. It's amazing. It's amazing how things turn around. But listen, if God is our Father, can we not approach His throne with confidence? We know that He loves us. We know that He's not going to do any harm to us. We know that He's not going to want anything for us that's not good for us. I was reading in the Pentateuch, especially in the book of Deuteronomy, Those words at the end of some of the verses, for thy good. You should look it up. For thy good. Just take a concordance and find that little phrase, for thy good. In other words, everything that the Lord did for Israel was for their good, because He was their heavenly Father. So it is with us. And therefore our attitude when we come to pray should be, An attitude of faith and trust. We can trust Him implicitly. He is our Father. He's not going to let anything happen to us that's not supposed to. And we need therefore to implore God's Spirit to give us faith in prayer. Look at these lovely words before we finish. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. Galatians 4, verse 6. What a verse for Father's Day. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. As I've referred to in the past, that word Abba is a word from the Greek language which actually indicates Our modern parlance, Daddy. You can't imagine a closer 
term than that. This is how it is with us and the Lord. He's our Heavenly Father. And we are His sons. And we need to implore God's Spirit to give us faith in prayer because His Spirit has already been sent into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Notice the word crying there. Crying, Abba, Father. That's what a baby does. Baby cries. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said that word crying indicates, obviously, fervency. But Abba, Father, indicates faith. He's not just our creator. He's our loving, heavenly Father. What a closeness of relationship we enjoy with him. In this manner, therefore, let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven.